Dinah Lance is a fighter, and her one-woman war is against the czars of crime, the frightened men who dread the blonde bombshell, otherwise known as Black Canary. Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary podcast. I am Ryan Daly, and this is a very special episode. For the first time since this show began, I am not reviewing a back issue from Black Canary's publishing history. Instead, I have the privilege to review the first issue of the brand new Black Canary ongoing series that came out earlier this month. Before I get into the review, I think it's fair to say, and this isn't hyperbole or overhyping, this is legit, the Flowers and Fishnets podcast would probably not exist without the new Black Canary comic. I started a Black Canary fan blog four years ago, but it had fizzled out by late 2014. I was just so down on everything going on with the DC Comics print and movie universes. It even affected my love for the back issues. I didn't want to read and write about Black Canary. But that changed with one picture and a few simple words. Earlier this year, DC announced the upcoming Black Canary series written by Brennan Fletcher with art by Annie Wu, and they released the promotional image of Dinah rocking out with a band that eventually proved to be the cover to issue one. I thought I was out, but this news pulled me back in, and before long, my fondness for the canary was reaffirmed with the creation of this podcast. That's right, chances are good I would never have started a Black Canary-centric podcast if I hadn't heard about the upcoming series. I suppose that puts a whole lot of pressure on the new comic to deliver the goods, huh? Well, let's find out if it does. Black on gold dust woman Take your silver spoon and dig your grave. Heartless challenge and pick your path and I'll pray. Make up in the morning. Issue 1, titled The Most Dangerous Band in America, is written by Brennan Fletcher with art by Annie Wu, colors by Lee Lawfridge, and letters by Steve Wands. 
The book was edited by Dave Wildgaz, Chris Conroy, and Mark Doyle. Annie Wu drew the regular cover, and Tula Lotte drew a variant. The issue is cover dated August 2015, but the actual on-sale date was June 17th. And perhaps for the first time, I did not need to consult Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics to learn that publication date. I knew exactly when the book came out because it was just a couple of days ago. The story opens with an excerpt from the Burnside Tofu, which is a fanzine dedicated to the music and culture scene in Burnside, which is a borough or district of Gotham City. The main article we see on page one shows Black Canary fly-kicking a guitar player and a headline reading, Where Black Canary Goes, Trouble Follows. The article, written by Tantu Labiche, is used to set up the world of the Black Canary when we jump into the series, and we get a lot of necessary information dumped efficiently in the opening page. First, Black Canary is the name of the band. Dinah goes by the stage name DD, probably for Dinah Drake, but that's not explained yet. And I think that's important because it does establish a little bit of anonymity for the character. Even though she's a local celebrity, she does have a bit of a secret identity. Not much at this point, but a little. The second thing we learn is that every time Black Canary plays a show, Dee Dee gets in a fight where she beats the crap out of people who are up to no good. We then see Dinah taking the stage, shedding an elaborate black cloak to reveal her stage costume composed of black leather corset, black leather jacket, and frayed fishnet stockings. As this is happening, the Burnside Tofu article continues to explain how Dinah's actions are bringing more pressure and more danger down on the band. Cut to... After the most recent show, the band's manager, Heathcliff, is trying to secure payment for their last performance. The venue's owner isn't inclined to pay because Dinah trashed the club while she was beating up a gang of men she witnessed harassing ladies in the bar. Later, the band is on the bus heading to their next gig when Dinah is confronted by her drummer, Lord Byron. We learn that Black Canary... The band picked up Dinah because she could sing and she had a killer look. But the members don't know a whole lot more about Dee Dee than the general public. All they really know is that she brings trouble to their shows, and she's a danger to everyone. Dinah promises she won't let her personal problems jeopardize her new friends or their dream of rock and roll glory. Now, before I go any further into the story, let me talk about the band members, because their individual traits and personalities will become important to this series. They are Dinah's supporting cast. Dinah, or Dee Dee, is the lead singer, and for now, we don't see her play any other instrument. She doesn't have one standard stage outfit, but rather a thematic look that changes from night to night, but always includes fishnets, black leather, something wild and revealing, which is nice, and it's in keeping with the nature of the character a little bit. Lord Byron is the drummer, and she claims to also play other instruments. She seems the most vocal of the group. She's quick to speak up and cover for Dinah with the press. She also seems the most willing to engage and trust Dinah. Paloma Terrific is the group's keyboardist, and she also kit-bashes electronic devices and boxes to boost the band's sound. She is much colder towards Dee Dee, much more bitter and grumpy about the band's situation, and how often their performances end with somebody going to the emergency room or jail. And that was not an intentional Don Henley reference, but whatever, I'll take it. Blind in the darkness, hear the sirens wail. Somebody going to emergency, somebody's going to jail. You find somebody to love in this world, you better hang on to the nail. The wolf is always. 
Then there's Ditto, the guitarist of Black Canary. She's young, she's mute, she's probably autistic, and she sleeps in a tiger furry costume. She's weird and even more of an X-factor in the group's dynamic than Dinah, as we'll see later on. We also have Heathcliff, the band's manager, and an unnamed-slash-unseen bus driver. When Black Canary arrives at the new venue, three creepy-looking weirdos in black suits watch the band unload their gear from the bus. Think of these three as a cross between the agents from The Matrix and the androgynous women in pretty much every Robert Palmer video from the 80s. During the sound check, something extraordinary happens. Ditto starts jamming on her guitar, and not just sound comes out, but also light. And then for some reason, Nick Lachey shows up halfway through the page and starts telling me to buy peanut butter Twix. It's really weird, but I guess in a way it kind of makes sense for the story. That night, Black Canary takes the stage and gives the greatest performance of their career at least for the first couple songs. But midway through the set, something crazy happens again. Ditto's wicked guitar licks create that light show again, and Dino witnesses the three black-suited strangos watching the show. The crazy light from Ditto's axe reveals their true forms. Oily, black monsters. At first, Dinah is the only one who seems to notice them. When the creatures rush the stage, Dinah lashes out, striking them with her microphone. The crowd panics, understandably, and runs for the exits. Dinah throws down with the creatures. She wraps them up with her mic cord, but the creatures just merge together as one giant monster with three heads and six arms. Realizing that her martial arts skills aren't going to stop this thing, Dinah apologizes in advance to her bandmates and then lets loose with her canary cry. The sonic scream brings the roof of the club down on the creature. She asks what the monster wants and discovers that it was not sent for Dinah, but for the enigmatic Ditto. Then it escapes through the hole in the roof, and the club owner tells Heathcliff he won't be paying the band for the show. In the aftermath, Dinah tells the others they're not safe. She wants to take Ditto and run to keep the girl safe until she's able to open up and explain why there are monsters hunting her. The problem is, Dinah has no home and no money, so she really doesn't have any place to run. And Lord Byron doesn't want her and Ditto to go. So they agree to keep the band together and fulfill their contract, and Dinah will teach them how to fight so they'll be better prepared to defend themselves if and when the monsters attack again which, from the last page, looks like it could be any time. And that's the end of Black Canary Issue 1. I'll be right back after this short promotional break to give you my thoughts on the story. Trekker Talk A fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. We'll be discussing the stories, characters, and art in this excellent retro sci-fi adventure series, as well as having side conversations about other areas of fandom. We hope you'll join us as we travel from the dangerous back streets of New Gallif to the depths of outer space and everywhere in between. Trekker Talk is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Before I get into specifics, I can break my feelings about this issue down into two major points. One, this comic is unlike any Black Canary story published before. And two, I loved it. 
Brendan Fletcher and Annie Wu deliver a knockout first issue. Black Canary starred in one previous ongoing series that lasted 12 issues. She also had two different four-issue miniseries. So prior to this new book, Dinah has had 20 self-titled comics published by DC over the years. I have read them all, and can say quite readily that this is the best written and best drawn comic with Black Canary in the title. Now, if that hyper-specificity makes it sound like I'm being disingenuous, trust me, this is the best Black Canary comic I've read. This story is fun, it's fresh, it's exciting, and more than anything, it's different. That last part is perhaps the most significant. I can see how this story might not connect with fans of more traditional superheroes, because that's not what this is. I can also see fans of the more traditional Black Canary not digging this comic either. It's a unique book. But I think Black Canary needs this type of oddball style in order to survive the current comic book market. If Black Canary was depicted as a typical superhero or costumed vigilante, her book would get lost in the sea of Justice League and Batman family books. I've always thought that the only way a Black Canary series could last is if she cornered a particular genre that DC isn't currently really playing with. Dinah could be their premier kung fu fighter, in which case her book might feel like Marvel's The Immortal Iron Fist. Or she could be a hard-boiled private investigator, like Marvel's Alias or Heroes for Hire, or even The Question from decades earlier. Fletcher and Wu wisely avoid telling the usual superhero story. What they've done instead is create a rock-and-roll road trip with elements of kung fu, magic, mystery, and soap opera. It's so un-DC. It feels like an indie book, something that would be published by Oni or Image. And that may be enough to turn away some fans. I can see a lot of longtime Black Canary fans staying away from this book because it looks nothing like the canary they know and love. I understand that. On the other hand, folks who've never read a Black Canary story might sample this comic and find something they absolutely love. I dig it because it's so different. I think that will give it a longer shelf life, so to speak. And yet... Even while Dinah is fronting a rock band and dressing like Joan Jett, there is still very much the heart of a superhero beating inside her chest. Brendan Fletcher smartly seeds a typical hero conflict within an atypical hero setting. For instance, singing in a rock and roll band is Dinah's day job, but her moral compulsion is still to throw herself against the bad guys. Any threat, any type of injustice, still brings out the best in Black Canary. We see why she used to be a member of the Justice League of America. And just like with Spider-Man and other conventional superheroes, we see how this moral quest to make the world a better and safer place, this intrudes on her personal and professional life. It wreaks havoc on Dinah's relationship with the band and her finances. In fact, before the band takes the stage, Heathcliff asks Dinah Point Blake if she likes singing. And to use a tired but thematically apt cliché, her silence speaks volumes. Earlier in the book, she's described as more UFC fighter than singer. It's not only funny, it's telling. The characters are all pretty solid. This earlier in the game, Dinah's bandmates are only thinly defined, but there is enough to see how each one of them is different and how each one relates to Dinah. We see that Lord Byron is a lot more forgiving and a lot more trusting, while Paloma Terrific really is not. As for Dinah herself, a big question before the series began was whether or not it would take place in the New 52 continuity, and if this Black Canary was the same woman who appeared in the awful Birds of Prey comic I reviewed last episode. 
Well, Fletcher drops enough little hints that it could be the same character in the same universe, but there's some ambiguity. Was she married? Was she Special Forces? Did she work with the Justice League? These are all brought up, but smartly unconfirmed. I hope the book stays away from Dinah's past, and instead focuses on her present. I have a feeling that'll be the case, because this is a book that feels very much like it's living in the now. The last thing to mention is the art. Any Woo's style doesn't look like other DC books, and for the umpteenth time in this review, that's a good thing. The look really stands out. If it doesn't turn people off immediately, I think they'll love it. I don't think it's the kind of visual style that you can feel ambivalence toward. And Lee Lofridge's colors bring Woo's pencils and inks to glorious life. The color palette is wonderful. Like I've said many times, this kind of Black Canary, it might not be for everybody. It's not the kind people are familiar with. It's not the Black Canary that made me a fan of the character. But it's still a good approach to Dinah, and it's a fun story. Fun, I think, is in short supply in a lot of modern comics. So I'm going to follow this series, as long as it stays fun. The last episode, focusing on Black Canary in the New 52, generated some great listener feedback. Nathaniel Wayne from Council of Geeks said, I can only imagine how painful it was to suffer through those issues. I can hear the agony when you try to describe it. I wonder if a bit of a palate cleanser episode looking at some of the truly great stories might be in order. That's a good suggestion, Nathaniel. Uh, thankfully, the story in this episode was really enjoyable. Going forward, this podcast is probably going to come out once a month, and I think I'll review the latest issue of the current series and an older. I need to finish up the old ongoing series from 1993 and continue the backup strips from World's Finest Comics. So expect this podcast to come out once a month, probably reviewing two comics at a time. Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast said, I'm wondering if this new post-convergence canary title and character will even be in any previous continuity. DCU, or whatever the hell they're calling themselves this week, seems to be continuity-free with a lot of titles, and I honestly think this one will work better if it's not tied to Dinah's previous superheroics. Otherwise, it's kind of like the old Mask cartoon, when after two seasons of fighting their enemy, Venom, they decide to bury the hatchet and go on NASCAR and race one another. Dude, Chris, I totally forgot about that sea change in Mask's concept during the third season. That was nuts. Tim Wallace from the Blue Beetle blog Cord Industry said, I didn't read any of the New 52 Black Canary stuff, but it was but if it was anything like the New 52 Blue Beetle, then I understand your feelings. It took me a long time to come around to liking the Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle, and the New 52 version ditched the legacy aspect. There was no Ted Cord, no Dan Garrett, and he went from being a likable teen to an annoying one. It sucks when our favorite characters get the short end of the stick, but at least we have our old back issues to remind us why we loved them. I feel for Tim. Uh, reluctantly, I got into the Jaime Reyes series that came out before the New 52, and I thought it was awesome. But when they relaunched the series in 2011, the book sucked. Uh, Matt Sellis said, Not a character I care about, but I sympathize as I know how it feels when they take a character you like and pour bat guano all over it. And Carl said, Well, this No 52 has a lot to answer for. This art is just juvenile and not worth the effort of even looking at. And Dinah fronting a rock group? WTF. Why would a superhero even consider doing this? Well, like I said, the new take on Black Canary won't appeal to every fan of the old version. 
And the irredeemable Shag from Firestorm fan said, Your brutal honesty about the New 52 Black Canary was greatly appreciated and enjoyed. Every time you took a stab at the New 52, the passion and language had me bursting with laughter. Well done, sir. Also have to agree, the upcoming Black Canary ongoing looks spectacular. Fingers crossed. Darren Sutherland from Trekker Talk Podcast said, As a Black Canary fan, I struggled through many of those Birds of Prey issues in the New 52 before finally giving up. I obviously didn't dislike them as much as you did, but I don't think anyone could have. I've always liked Christy Marks' writing, so I plan to return to the series when she took over, but never got around to it. Here's hoping the new series is good. And finally, Diablo Frank of the Rolled Spine family of podcasts, including the Marvel Superheroes podcast, Idol Head of Diablo podcast, DC Bloodlines, Diana Prince Wonder Woman, and the Underguides podcast, said, Yay! New 52 coverage! I can finally mock that continuity, too. As I was listening to your coverage of the 90s Black Canary series, I started crafting my own ultimate take on the character. I'm a firm believer in respecting the and ideally building upon what came before, but I can also recognize the need for bold new directions. For instance, the pre-crisis Jason Todd was nothing but a Dick Grayson clone, so I enjoyed Max Collins's and Jim Starlin's snot-nosed punk reworking until he got resurrected and winnicked. Despite Rob Kelly's adoration of Alan Brenner, let's be honest with ourselves and admit that this post-crisis origin of Dinah Lance basically turned her into Silk Spectre. That said, there was plenty of good to be found in her 80s through 2000s history, and gold to be mined from earlier interpretations to form the most excellent New 52 incarnation. Instead, they made her Jason Todd II, married to a lame Wildstorm generic paramilitary background, with pointless, shallow analogs for Larry Lance and Ted Grant thrown in for bad measure. This isn't an all-new, all-different Black Canary with an original name-slash-narrative, but it also isn't anything like familiar or desirable for Dinah fans. The character isn't elevated in stature within her universe, doesn't expand representation, and in fact loses ground from what had previously made her unique. The worst of all possible worlds, essentially. As with most of the New 52, it takes away without giving anything back, and represents a colossal missed opportunity at a true streamlining and updating of the line for modern, ideally expanded audiences. The Arrow flourishes make the New 52 look like legends of the superheroes by comparison. I'm afraid I'm not into DCU Black Canary either, but at least they are trying a new direction instead of turning Dinah into a derivative character pushed further into the background of the DCU than ever. Team 7? Ugh. Thanks to everyone who posted a comment on the blog. I also received two new iTunes reviews. Shag said, if you like Black Canary even a little bit, then you'll love this podcast. On this show, they celebrate what works with Black Canary and don't pull any punches on the stories that just don't work. Always an engaging listen with an awesome theme song. The host, can't remember his name, rhymes with crying, has a real passion for the character and his enthusiasm for the classic stories is infectious. Subscribe today. Thanks, Shag, you bastard. And Disco Cub said, Typically I've found single-character podcasts to be a bit droll and precious at times, so I shy away from them. Dinah is a longtime fave of mine, though, so I decided to give this a shot when it came up in my search results. I am so glad that I did. I started listening today at work and have marathoned the entire series up to current day. I love that the podcaster broadcasts uh, not just the good, but also the problems, especially with the 90s series. I'll definitely be sticking around as long as the quality is this excellent. Thanks for helping make my dull office job a bit more epic. That's really the level that I strive towards. A bit more epic.
And that's all for this episode of Flowers and Fishnets. If you enjoyed the show, you can leave a comment on the blogger page, blackcanaryfan.blogspot.com. There you can contact me with any questions or comments. You can also find me on Facebook and on Twitter using the handle at blackcanaryfan or at ryandaily01, or you can search the username Count Drumkilla. Flowers and Fishnets is not affiliated with DC Comics, and the views expressed on the show are mine alone. All music, audio clips, quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and are believed covered under fair use. And I make no money off this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.